Chapter 15 of the Queen of Appalachia. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kualada. The Queen of Appalachia by Joe H. Borders. Chapter 15 A Panic Stricken Audience. Thursday was a dismal, misty day, but Paul and his friends were not greatly influenced by the melancholic atmosphere that enveloped the city. While other people were complaining, some going so far as to curse the weather, this jolly trio spent the day in solid enjoyment, playing, singing, romping, and reading. And it was in this happy frame of mind they left the carriage that evening, and were ushered into the box at the opera house. They arrived late and consequently attracted no little attention from the vast audience that filled the handsome little playhouse. Every opera glass was turned toward their box, and many smothered exclamations might have been heard upon all sides as they discovered the beautiful woman. She was dressed with exquisite taste, and her dazzling jewels added brilliancy to her queenly appearance. Who is she? was on every tongue, but there was no satisfactory answer from any direction. But there was one who seemed entranced, judging from her manner. She was in the balcony, second row, where she had a splendid view of our friends in the box, and her opera grass was turned in that direction throughout the performance. The tragic scenes on the stage had no attractions for this young lady who noted every movement of the trio from the time they entered. She was modestly attired and a pair of golden eyeglasses adorned her nose. But a certain policeman on the south side would have recognized her in spite of the glasses. Paul's shadow, for such she was, had selected a position where she could see without being seen except by her neighbors who marveled greatly that the audience had more attractions for her than the stage. A close observer would have noted the constant changing expression of her face as she watched every action of the occupants of the box, and more than once a frown disturbed her naturally sweet expression. That is my double, she said inaudibly. When she first caught sight of Paul and his friends, he is right. After a careful survey of her rival as she regarded her. If we are so much alike in every way, she thought, her costly gowns and magnificent jewels will naturally overshadow me in his estimation. The play had caught the audience and the house rang with applause from time to time and no one appeared more pleased or captivated than the female stranger in the box. Her whole soul was in the play, and in the third act, she could almost feel that she was the royal duchess, who, in her regal beauty and surroundings, had succeeded in capturing her subjects as she had her audience. Both Brownlee and Thornton were watching their pretty charge and noting her enthusiasm. The young lady in the balcony also recognized her fascination, 
and her eyes swept the stage to find the cause of the entrancing picture. A scene of royalty, she muttered half aloud. She is of the aristocracy, but how on earth did he get acquainted with her? Eagerly watching her rival, the curtain slowly descended and was raised again almost instantly, presenting a change of scene that was most dazzling in its brilliancy. Showing the lawn and the gardens of the royal palace in all their glory and splendor, a scenic display that never had its equal upon an American stage, missed the almost deafening applause following this elaborate and crowning spectacular scene, came a piercing scream that filled the vast auditorium and stilled the enthusiasm of the multitude. It is she. Stammered the balcony girl on her feet in an instant. Every eye was turned towards the box where confusion reigned supreme. Quickly taking the lifeless form in his arms, Paul hastened out of the box and quietly made his exit through a side door, and placed her in one of the many carriages that lined the street. Mister Brownlee followed them in silence after giving the driver proper directions. Speak to me, sweetheart," said Paul, his face wet with perspiration, his right hand stroking her forehead gently, and his pulse at fever heat. "Calm yourself, Thornton. There's no danger," said Brownlee. Nothing more was said until they reached her room, which occupied but a few minutes' hasty drive. The audience was panic-stricken over the incident, and a gladsome cheer on every lip over the wonderful stage production. Was hushed into a deathly silence by the sudden cry that rang out from the box, and which brought every one to his feet with alarm. The manager appeared in front of the curtain almost immediately and quieted the audience by saying the lady had fainted and was being taken home in a carriage. When the orchestra struck up a lively strain, as though nothing has happened, and the people resumed their seats for the next and final act. But there was one vacant seat in the balcony. The young lady who attracted the attention of her neighbors in the balcony by her continuous ocular demonstration in the direction of the stage box, hurriedly made her exit after that hysterical shriek, and was in the neighborhood of College Street in less than no time, making her plans as she flew over the ground. There was no excitement at the boarding house. The fainting form was placed on her bed. Mister Brownlee was bending silently over her, peering into the ashen-colored face, while Paul had gone for a pitcher of water. She moves. Her color returns. She lives. Spoke her silent watcher. Where am I? She stammered. Was it a dream? Where are all the people? She raised her head as if to get up. But sank down again, exhausted. Her eyes riveted on Mister Brownlee, who neither moved nor spoke. Soon she dropped off into a deep sleep, and he walked away. She is quietly sleeping, he whispered to Paul and the landlady, meeting them at the door. I will remain here, and I want you to go to your room, Thornton, and hold fast to the one thought. You understand. Paul nodded assent and took his leave. 
I will call you if needed," he said to the landlady, thus dismissing her, and placing a chair near the head of the bed, went into his room, where he remained until aroused by the soft steps of a visiting angel in the garb of a sister of charity. He motioned her to a seat at the window, and she passed on, heaving a sigh of relief as she did so. An hour went by, and not a sound was audible in the room. Presently, Mr. Brownlee got up and again looked into the face of the sleeper and smiled. "I am glad you are here, sister," he whispered to the veiled lady. "She is sleeping peacefully, and I will leave her in your charge. Give her no medicine under any circumstances. You will find water on the table. If I am wanted, you can find me in the adjoining room." So saying, he went out, closing the door softly after him. Alone with her, she said, gliding over to the bedside containing her rival. I wonder who he is. Referring to Brownlee, not a physician, surely, and a friend to both of them. What a sweet expression! Looking into the face of her double, the interested watcher. Whom the reader has already recognized as Miss Arnold, was intently looking into the face of the sleeping woman before her. Something in the expression in her sleep gave it a divine sweetness that Miss Arnold characterized as angelic in the extreme, and her womanly instinct was instantly made manifest. The woman she had sworn to hate, she now loved, and she longed to kiss the beautiful lips of her once hated rival. How could I find fault with him for idolizing her? She thought, he couldn't help it. No wonder he left me to go to her. She is goodness personified, and has never been guilty of wearing a mask. Tears filled her eyes as she contemplated the spotless character of the innocent woman, and she compared her with her own miserable self, and she suffered untold agonies in reviewing her past life. But I can't give him up," she cried. "No, not for angels. If she knew how I worship him," she moaned, "that my every pulse and heartbeat is for him, that life without him would be but an empty dream. If she knew that my future happiness depends upon his love, that it is a question of heaven or hell, life or death with me." Who love him to distraction, who would willingly suffer and die for him if necessary, will she give him up? She will. Oh, I know she will. A restless movement of the sleeper aroused her, and she immediately assumed her role of nurse. Tell her the queen insists that she go. No excuses, Angelina. Are we not to be friends? Yes. You make me happy, perfectly lovely. Oh, the great rabbits! Come see up there, magnificent. I am falling. Oh God, Angelina, please, don't push. Miss Arnold was startled at enigmatical exclamations and sat in utter astonishment. She hates me. Oh, ah,、oh, cold water, help. Queen, drowns, help! 
Will no one save me? Help! She's drowning, thought Miss Arnold. Queer dreams. Thank God. Yes, safe. But oh, how dark! The suspense is awful. I am shielded, numb, forsaken. No escape. It is death. My head swims. Now one more ray of hope. Why did you, Angelina? Did you mean it? Yes, vengeance. This suspense kills. I am sip. Goodbye, my people, palace, mother, lost. I go. Oh, this is frightful! Exclaimed the now excited listener. I must call him. Heaven, yes, this heaven. Oh, how thankful! Who is he? No, not an angel. Wet. How strange! I am dreaming. Splendid. Thanks. Awfully nice, Mister Thornton. Lovely name. Oh, in my life, he swam. I was drowning. How strange! Yes, we are going. The sun, he calls it. Ocean's water. The monster. But how we fly! Glorious. Thank you, Mister Brownley. Beautiful, beautiful, delighted. He comes. So glad, Mister Thornton. Your sweetheart. A dream. The people. It is. No, can it? Real. Now the curtain rises. Mister Thornton. Mister Brownley. Her eyes opened. She sat upright. You were dreaming, my dear. Won't you lie down again? Here, drink this, handing her a glass of water. Thank you, she said softly, supping the cooling beverage. I feel better now, but where am I? Oh, I see, in my own room. Were we alone? She asked. Your friends are close by, lovey. Now then, arranging the downy pillows. Rest your head here and go to sleep. My friends are all too good. How pleasant friends! Was the almost inaudible response as she closed her eyes and slept. Miss Arnold sank down on the chair, weak from the strange words of the dreamer, which still rang in her ears. She pondered much over them and finally became convinced in her own mind. That her broken sentences were but the echo of some real tragedy. Arriving at this conclusion, she commenced to put the mixed sentence together, and was weaving a strange story when Mister Brownley entered on tiptoe. Still sleeping, he whispered, as though disappointed. Just now, yes, spoke Miss Arnold, but she opened her eyes once and called the names of Mister Thornton and Mister Brownley. Did she appear calm, or was there a shadow of excitement when she awoke? She appeared calm and restful, and when I assured her that her friends were near and she recognized her own room, she went to sleep again almost immediately. You must be tired and sleepy," suggested Mister Brownley, "and I will relieve you now. 
Will you occupy a bed in the adjoining room? Thank you, was the answer. I am no longer needed and will return home. Miss Arnold was buttoning her glove and had taken two or three steps toward the door when she paused and half-faced the bed as if undecided about something. Will you call again, sister? asked Mr. Brownlee. I am not satisfied to go away without telling you about the mutterings of the patient as she slept. You are right, said Brownlee. Tell me. Miss Arnold sat down at once and repeated to him the strange mixture of sentences that fell upon her ears, or as much as she could call to mind. Brownlee heard her through in silence and without comment, and at the close of her narrative got up and paced up and down the floor, apparently in deep meditation. Presently he paused and asked her if she had told him all. Every word, sir, as I remember it. I suppose it was merely an extravagant dream. No, no, he interrupted. It was full of meaning. She is the victim of a foul plot. This Angelina pushed her into the rapids. She drifts into the darkness, but reached a momentary retreat to be again precipitated into the river and yields to the inevitable, bidding her people, her station, and her mother a final goodbye. When she is rescued by Thornton, she reaches heaven in her imagination. I see it, I see it, Mr. Brownlee was greatly excited. Where did Mr. Thornton rescue the woman? asked Miss Arnold, now full of curiosity, unable to conceal her high-wrought feelings. In the river up in the mountains. But what puzzles me now is how did she get there? But it will all come out. Yes, we have enough evidence to work on. I am glad you thought best to tell me, he said. Miss Arnold was busy thinking and had not years for compliments just now. Promising to call again later in the morning, she took her leave. End of chapter 25 The Panic-Stricken Audience Recorded by Holada.